Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. 
our heart is filled with thanksgiving for what you have done for us, Yeshua HaMashiach. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, 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 hallelujah. We worship you. We give you praise. Hallelujah. If you have a word from the Lord, you can just come. You can just speak it out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Our Messiah. Yeshua, we bow before you and we declare that you are holy and worthy of all our praise. Thank you, almighty God, for giving us Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. Thank you. Come, Lord Jesus, come, Maranatha. Maranatha, Maranatha, we bow before you, we love you, thank you Lord, thank you Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Praise, honor, and glory unto you, O King of kings, O Lord of lords. Thank you, Jesus. Welcome, welcome, everyone. Oh, the Spirit of the Lord is here. Amen. <laughs> the Spirit of the Lord is here. Delighted to see you here. Thank you for coming, Pastor Gary. Welcome to church. You got a handful of people today. There must be something on on the Gold Coast, is there? Yes. Yeah, they're entertaining people. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the new faces, ladies. Welcome. So you sneak in the back there. Good to see you. Welcome to everyone that's joining us online. We're glad you're with us again. It's, um, it's going to be a good day. We, we... <laughs> if you weren't here this morning, you missed out. Let me encourage you. If you weren't here this morning, you haven't seen this morning's message from Pastor Amel, jump on YouTube later and have a look. 
It was a challenging message for some, but it's actually a simple message if we're, we're going to call ourselves born-again believers. Mm. That's what we're here to do. As an apostolic and prophetic church, we're here to challenge people to grow, challenge people to step up. Because if we want to be called Christians, I prefer kingdom people, but if we want to be called mm. Christians, that comes with a few responsibilities, right? We've got yeah. to do some stuff. So let me encourage you to go back and watch it if you weren't here. In fact, even if you were here, go back and watch it again. <laughs> and if you've got any questions, you've probably got Pastor Romel's number. Because <laughs> I'm expecting a few phone calls. But it's good. It's good. How good was worship? How good really was it when Rabs and Joanna yeah. up there just strumming away and harmonising? You can feel the presence of the Lord. I've got a simple task today. But the first one is to tell you that next Sunday afternoon, don't come here because we won't be here. We'll be at Yatla. We're, uh, we're moving our Sunday afternoon services to, to Yatla. Um, the Lord's taught, calling us to expand our tent pegs. Therefore, that's what we shall do. Sunday morning, though, we will be here. So come Sunday morning. Make sure you turn up. If it's confusing, jump on our website. I'll pop it on there later. Second thing I've got to do today is just pray for our offering. So let, let's do that now. If you've got a seed and you're ready to sow, there's an offering box on either side. The, uh, the details, if you're watching online, will be on the bottom of the screen. We're seeing people get blessed. Pastor Shane shared a message this morning where he hasn't had work for a few weeks or not enough work for a few weeks. And they've been praying and... And someone just blessed him with an envelope, and he, he's not a very good receiver. He's, he's more of a giver. And he, uh, he opened the envelope up, and it was enough to, to cover the bill. Mm -hmm. in, in fact, when he went in to pay the bill, he got a discount on it, and then had some money left over to, to bless the children in children's church today. Amen. That's how our God works. When we're obedient, he will bless us. When we're not obedient... You hold off on his blessings. None of us give our children something nice when they're being naughty, do we? God's the same. We're his children. Let's pray for our offering. Holy Heavenly Father, open our eyes that we might behold the wonders of your grace. Help us to see that your love for us and your love for, uh, is for others as well. Help us to respond to your love and grace and power, and help us to be the instruments that communicate your love to others. Don't we need that church? We need to be communicating love to others in this day and age. I love when you're preaching and someone sends you a message who's watching. Accept our tithes today, Lord, and our offerings, and bless them to the end that suffering will be relieved. And that needs will be met. Amen. And that your name will be proclaimed to the ends of this earth. As in Jesus' name that we pray this afternoon. All the believers said, Amen. 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 Who is who's ready to be challenged a little bit this afternoon? Three, four people, five people, awesome. That's good. Who's ready to be restored this afternoon? Let me encourage you, if you put Apostle Dyer's messages into action, that will happen.
But you've got to put them into action. Don't just listen to them. Don't just be hearers of the word, it says, but doers. So put these things into action. Your life will change. And we serve a good God. He wants us to be serving him. He wants us to be healthy. He wants us to be free of lack. So put some of these things into place and become restored. Apostle, I'm ready to be restored. Amen. Come and preach for Please us. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Gary. It's been, uh, I'm quite excited about this week and the message I've got this week. This is one of the major root causes of so much sickness and disease and uh, stress-related illnesses. I'm going to be looking at the uh, subject of being released from grief. Uh, so many people have a misunderstanding about what grief actually is. Uh, those of you who have heard my testimony, uh, I was so grieved uh, that I became emotionally broken but also mentally ill. And I wondered how on earth could I get out of that? Uh, you know, I was thinking I'd like to be normal again, but I didn't know what normal was. <laughs> Somebody told me it's a setting on a clothes dryer. <laughs> but, uh, you, you know, to the place where you can function. And, uh, and so this is one of my major messages, and I pray that you will be blessed. I know Holy Spirit Comforter is already here. But there's also Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Truth, too. And we have believed a lot of, uh, well, they call it misinformation. So... Uh, I pray you'll be really blessed. For those online, welcome. It's lovely, you know, that we can minister outside of the building. Modern technology is really good. Yeah. So I'm starting off with the foundational scripture of Ecclesiastes 3 uh, from verse 1. You, you know, King Solomon was the wisest king that ever lived. Uh, when he wrote something, you, you know, it had more than just it is a little bit of advice. You know, there's instruction. And if we follow those instructions, uh, as Pastor Gary said today, we will be changed. So this message has come out of many years of not only myself being set free, but seeing so many hundreds, in fact, thousands of people set free from uh, uh, this grief. So in, in, in verse 1 it said, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. goes on to say, There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. Time to weep. Verse 4, time to laugh. Time to mourn and a time to dance. I'm not bringing all of what's written. I'm just uh, zoning in on a few things. Uh, that would help us today. Uh, there's a time to search, but then there's a time to give up. I'm not really good at the giving up bit, but uh, I've a few times in my life I, I haven't given up when I should have, uh, and it was detrimental because uh, it not only caused suffering to me, but to my children as well. So we need to learn about the time uh, to give up as well as the time to... Uh, uh, a time to where we are, search time to keep and a time to throw away yeah I've, uh, I had a flood in my place 
a few months ago. And uh, I'm thinking of all the stuff that I'm wanting to sort out. Well, that certainly helped. <laughs> I found out that I had to give a lot of stuff away, throw a lot of stuff away. And yet there's still some there I'm sorting through. It's time sometimes to just get rid of some clutter. You know, not just physically, but also emotional baggage, clutter, mental things as well. There's a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. It's difficult, isn't it, to know when to be silent? <laughs> but then there's a time to rise up and speak. Uh, he has made everything beautiful in its time. I, I, I really love that scripture because God doesn't waste anything. And even those times where we've said, oh, well, that was a waste of time. Oh, that was a waste of so many years of my life. But you know, that which sin meant for evil, God turns it around and uses it for good. I never would have believed that out of my suffering and grief in my family, that I would spend 36 years traveling the world, preaching the gospel in all these nations. You know, at the time, I had to look up to see bottom. You've been in that place where <laughs> anyway, you're so low. And yet, uh, I must admit, I enjoy life. So it goes on to say he has set eternity in the human heart. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I, I was kind of hoping when I got that revelation that I'd, I understood it years ago. There are some things that we just can't fathom. You know, he knows the beginning to the end, but we don't. And so, you know, he's saying, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So sometimes that's the time where we need to just give up in needing answers. I did a message once called uh, More. And uh, it's like, we want more of the good. But will we let go of the idea that we need to know all the details of everything? We tend to overthink a lot of things, don't we? Uh, psychiatric hospitals at the time were filled with people who just couldn't let go. You know, they just couldn't say goodbye to pain. They couldn't say goodbye to uh, some of those things that happened. Well, we're going to have a, a look at the area of saying goodbye to some things today. There is a time to say goodbye to pain. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 1. This is King Solomon again. He's reflecting on life. And he says, I reflected on all of this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do is in God's hands. It's good to know that, isn't it? But no man knows whether love or hatred will await them. We don't, do we? I don't think God created us with a view that we would all get our hearts broken and crushed uh, and we'd see murders, we'd see abuses. I don't think that was his original intention. I'm so glad he made a way, made a way so that we could uh, become whole again. And so he said there's nothing better 
This is going back to verse 12 of Ecclesiastes 3. I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. That each one may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. You know, I got that revelation one time. And I, was, uh, I spent nearly 20 years in depression uh, with all the uh, results of abuses and cruelty. And, uh, you know, when we were looking at this, I read this, enjoyment of life is a gift of God. So I just said, God, can I have that gift? You know, we ask for the gifts of the Spirit. We ask for His power. So can I have that gift of enjoying life? Well, over the years, He showed me about that. You, you, you know, we don't have to wait till everything's going good before we can enjoy life. We can enjoy life in the midst of the deepest grief. And this is God's will for us. And uh, once I got a hold of that revelation, it was like, I, I don't want to live in that depression anymore. We can't change a human heart. We can't really change ours, but God can. You know, all he's waiting for is for us to ask. You know, ask, seek, knock. <laughs> you know, so I did a lot of asking, a lot of seeking, a lot of knocking on the door of heaven. I read in the Word that God's plan for us is for good and not for evil, to give us a future and a hope. And God's plan for us is that we will have a future and a hope. So let's, uh, let's see hopelessness turn uh, to hope today. So Isaiah 53, this uh, tells us about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. You know, there's two different words there, grief and sorrow. They're two different things. And I want to talk about the difference between grief and sorrow, because if we lump it all together, we're not going to get set free of it. You know, we shall know the truth, and the truth will set us free. But he who the sun sets free will be free indeed. So that word, uh, griefs, uh, grief is not an emotion, although it affects our emotions. Uh, grief, the meaning of grief is, yes, sadness. as a state of sadness when grief comes in. Grief is a spirit talks here about infirmities. Well, it's a spirit of infirmity. And so it's not just physical infirmity. It's also emotional, <coughs> sorry, emotional, mental uh, infirmity. And so when we suffer loss, this spirit comes in. And there is a time to grieve and there's a time to mourn. There's a grieving process that I'll talk about in a minute. And it's healthy to go through this process. And we need to get, go through it. But a lot of people get stuck in the middle of their grieving and can never get out of it. And it becomes a torment. Because no matter what you do, you just can't get out of that cloud, that area of sadness. So grief also means disease. 
there are a lot of stress-related diseases and sicknesses. And when you deal with the root cause, which is grief, you'll find a lot of those things will, will depart. Grief means strengthlessness. You know, when you suffer a loss and the spirit of grief comes in, usually you lose all your strength, especially if it's the loss of a loved one. And, uh, and so many people, they're living in chronic fatigue because they're grieved all the time. They don't know how to deal with it, don't even really know what it is that's causing them to feel that way. And uh, I've seen thousands of people set free just hearing this message, and then I'll lead you through a prayer of how we get out of it. And, uh, and so, strengthlessness, but I also, when researching it in different languages, uh, it means to be worn out. I think that's uh, something that happens to us. And uh, not only in the humid days, I lose a bit of strength when it's really humid. <laughs> but this is a different kind of uh, losing strength. Anxiety is one of the meanings of the word grief. Anxiety is not a light thing. In fact, scripture tells us that anxiety of the heart weighs a man down. So it, it's very heavy when we get into anxiety. Infirmity. You know, in the word, in certain translations, it calls grief infirmity. And so infirmity is weakness. So it's a weakness that comes in when we suffer loss, can affect us mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Uh, it also means to extinguish the flame. You know, when you first fall in love, you know, those of us that, you know, had boyfriends, had Husbands, you know, when you first fall in love, it's just wonderful, isn't it? You've got so much energy, you, you know, so much passion, uh, and, and it's a beautiful time. But over time, things come in that disappointed. Things come in that not only disappoint us, but they, they, they cause us to, um, looking for that word, discouraged. So when we get discouraged because of grief, it, it's like that's the time when a lot of us give up, that we don't need to give up. Extinguish the flame. Even the flame of passion of finding Jesus and the love that comes, that can be also snuffed out. There is a scripture that talks about God where, you know, it, it, it will not snuff out a, a, a flame, neither will he break a bruised reed. And so uh, extinguishing a flame can happen in relationships. I, uh, I have been divorced myself more than once, and I hate divorce. People think that because I've been divorced and still ministering, that I would be easy on people who are seeking an easy divorce. I would be more strict, I think, because I see what happens to the children, what happens to every, all their dreams. But I know there are times where there are no answers unless they turn to God and deal with it. You, you know, it's like uh, I always say it takes two to tango. You know, one person might be 99% uh, innocent, but they still have got to take responsibility for their 10%. 
because it, it's not what happens to us that destroys us. It's our reaction and overreaction to those things that destroy us. So uh, uh, that word sorrow, let's look at that word sorrow. Uh, as I was looking that up, it, 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 it shared about it being the English word anguish. I, I don't use that word much today, and maybe it's not a common word, but anguish of soul, that is sorrow. Pain, emotional pain, mental pain. That is what we call anguish. So when we're looking at grief and sorrow, we're looking at two different things. And so Jesus came so that he could take our griefs and our sorrows. So God's plan in the grieving process. Let's have a look at 2 Corinthians 1 verse 3. This is God's plan. Praise be to the God and Father of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in trouble with the same comfort that we ourselves have received. It's very difficult to give something that you've never had. You know, you can tell somebody what you've read about it, what you've been told about it, but when you've experienced it yourself, it's very different, isn't it, than just bringing it secondhand. So uh, this is uh, Paul speaking. And then in verse 8, he says, We do not want you to be informed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. He said, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure it, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Would God allow that? Talk to Joseph. You know, talk to Isaiah, talk to Jeremiah. They all, they all came to that place in their life where they just wanted to die. Even Moses said, if this is how you're going to treat me, kill me now. You know, he just couldn't handle the pressure of all the people getting hungry with him. They wanted something to eat that is not manna. And so they, they come to Moses and Moses takes it personally. You know, he took it to God in his grief, but it was like he took it personally. And I think we can learn from that. Don't take everything personally. You know, even the prophet Samuel said, they're not angry with you, they're angry with God. And so usually when there is a transference of anger, which often happens if you're a counselor, or a pastor or a leader, you know, you, you, you will be receiving a transference of their anger, but we don't need to take it personally because if we do, we could get sick with someone else's anger, not even ours. And so uh, it's one thing for God to deliver us from our grief, but he has to deliver us sometimes when we're carrying someone else's grief. This is, this is a problem with a lot of intercessors. You know, true intercession, uh, it, it starts with God. And God shares his burden with the intercessor, who then will lay down their joy, lay down their freedom to carry another person's depression and heartbreak so that that person can be free to worship, even if it's only for half an hour in a worship service. But a lot of intercessors, they keep carrying it. 
they can die of someone else's uh, uh, of someone else's grief. Cancer is a major physical problem of grief. I have seen thousands of people healed of cancer, especially uh, you, you know that comes from uh, loss. Could be loss of health. It could be lo lo loss of a job, as well as the loss of a loved one. Uh, often, if I'm looking at someone with a terminal illness, or maybe even bone problems, uh, I want to look at grief. But I found out that cancer, and especially uh, bone problems, are often rooted in a generational inequity of grief. And as you deal with it as a generational iniquity, because there's a lot of people that are born in grief. And there's been so much grief in their family line that it's like they're born in a cloud. And, uh, you know, people say, well, didn't Jesus die to take that away? I say, yes, he did. But just having the knowledge of it doesn't actually do it. It's like you said, or was it Pastor Gary who said, you don't only listen to it, but actually do it. And so we've got to appropriate that knowledge and make it our own. And so Jesus did die in the area of uh, generational weakness, infirmity. And we can, we can see ourselves free from those deep, deep depressions that come with grief. I've ministered to people and I say, well, what was the trigger that started off this depression? They said, well, I was depressed at two. You know, and some they are because they're just born with this weakness. And, uh, and so Paul is saying, indeed, we felt the sentence of death. That's pretty bad depression, isn't it? You know, you know, when you felt the sentence of death in your heart and you've despaired of life. If you look at that word despair, it actually means to put hope away. If you put hope away, you can't have faith. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for. So I found, even in my own case, you go to church, you hear the good news, but you can't hold on to it because you've got no substance for faith to stick. So I, I was asking God, you know, if we can't have faith because we're so much in hopeless, uh, how do we get rid of the hopelessness? Well, it tells us in Revelation 12, verse 11, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So that's what I do. I teach about what Jesus has done on the cross. How amazing he is. And also give personal testimony. Because there's nothing like someone who's overcome that gives their testimony to build up hope in a person. I've seen it time and time again. When, when I got set free, I didn't have years and years of Christian upbringing. I came out of, you, you know, occult, uh, New Age movement, uh, Satanism. I came out of that. I didn't know about what they were teaching in churches, teaching in Sunday school. I didn't know any of that. So all I could do was read the word and then do it. So when it said, you know, give your lives to the Lord, I, that's what I prayed. Lord, I've made such a mess in my life. 
Will you take it? May not have used the Christianese way of doing it, but it was like, I'm done. Lord, I'm yours, whatever. I know he filled me with, with the Spirit. And so when I went out and did it, I had nothing to tell me that you can't do it. So <laughs> I saw miracles from almost the first few weeks. I even had people from the Moody Bible Institute in America uh, hear my testimony from someone in, in Australia and ask me to do some teaching for their uh, Bible college on the area of being released from depression and grief. You know, sometimes we, we make it complicated. You, you know, the, the gospel message is quite simple. You know, you hear it, you do it, and you see results. Now, obviously, if you wanted to go into ministry on a top level, you do need to know what the Bible's saying. You know, there are areas in which we do need some education, but God's not dependent on that education. So I didn't have to unlearn anything, <laughs> which a lot of people do that have been brought up. I was appalled to find out that I've been taught the word and it wasn't true what they said. When you really get into the study of the word, especially when you find out what the word is really saying. So I've just enjoyed just sharing revelation that I've got from the word. And, uh, and so goes on in verse 10, sorry, verse 9. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves. How many of us have tried to get ourselves out of it? We can't. You know, no one can fathom what, fathom what God is doing from beginning to end. And sometimes we, we go crazy trying to get the answers as to why. It's what we want to know, isn't it? Whose fault was it? Why has this happened? So we're looking around at whose fault was it? And we usually can find someone. It takes a while to realize that it's sometimes your own fault. But we want to know, you know, God, why? And why did you allow it to happen? It's difficult, isn't it? I, I know being a pastor for so many years, and people are really angry and say, well, why did God allow it if he's a good God? It's a hard one to answer. But we're living in a broken world, aren't we? And we, we, we've got Satan and all his hosts that, that have power in this world. And the thing about it is we actually open up and give that power to them and then receive the lies that's about a two hours message in three minutes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get this message condensed. He goes on to say, uh, verse 10, He has delivered us from this deadly peril. He will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So that's past, present, and future. It's taking, taking care of it all. As I said before, it comes, grief comes in like a spirit when we suffer loss. Now, there's one thing to suffer, suffer the loss of a loved one, but it also comes when we suffer, when we, when we suffer the loss of an expectation. 
You know, we have an expectation, we may have a dream from God, and it doesn't work out. Then that grief comes in, and we go through all the different stages uh, of grief. So the process of grieving, usually when you hear the bad news, uh, usually what happens is uh, you're afraid. And, and so fear is one of the first emotions that come. And uh, after that comes an area of denial. You want to deny that what has happened has happened. I had one lady came to my school uh, when I did schools in Brisbane years ago. And uh, she, she wanted to know about restoration. She'd carried this grief for 16 years. Uh, her husband, they were in ministry together. He, he, he actually ran off with one of the young girls that they were counseling. So he divorced her. So she's waiting for him to get his act together and come back to her. So I said to her, did you have children? She said, no, but he did. So I said, oh, was he married? You know, before you met? No. He's married now and he's got children. I said, so you mean that you're coveting another woman's husband who's not yours? See, she didn't see it that way. All she saw was, they're not married in God's eyes. So we're going to break up that marriage and he's going to come back to me. Some people call that charismatic witchcraft. You know, where you really try and put an opinion on somebody else. It can become very controlling. And that's where a lot of false guilt comes in. When people are trying to control us, telling us uh, all different things that may not be relevant to where we're at or, or where we're going. So usually when we come out of denial, anger is there. We begin to realize that what has happened has happened and I'm angry because there's been an injustice. Do you know that all the prophets got angry? They, they all complained to God because what they were seeing was injustice all around. So they complained about injustice. I think we need a few more people who will complain about injustice. Enough that we'll rise up and do something about it. I know I, I've done studies into revival and reformation, you know, ever since... Um, Oh, goodness knows how far back. And I saw there was usually just one or two people that got so upset with injustice that they rose up and did something about it. There's a lady in England, and she, um, she handcuffed herself to the Houses of Parliament in London and went on a hunger strike. You know, in the beginning, people mocked her, ridiculed her. She wanted to see the women get the vote. Women were nothing. You know, we talk about second-class citizens. I think they were about 10th class. And uh, uh, she got to the stage where she was almost dying and the politicians were really getting upset because they're going to be blamed if she dies because they're not doing anything about it. But she changed the law. You know, just by taking a stand and being so angry at injustice that she stood up and did something about it. There were a lot of women around her called suffragettes. 
But after a while, the men began to come around. They saw her courage. You know, that she wouldn't. She would not bow down and submit. Because she's got this vision of women being allowed to vote and be free. Well, you only have to look through history and to see all these amazing women of God. You, you know, you look, at, you look back at many reformations and revivals. William Booth with the Salvation Army. You know, the Methodist Church. You see how their beginnings were. People complained because they saw injustice. So they rose up a ministry to feed the hungry or something like that. So when we come out of our anger, uh, we can then move on. But if we don't deal with the anger, it will be anger turned inwards, which will then often turn into depression. That's a very easy description of what depression is. But if you don't deal with your anger and you stuff it down and stuff it down, anger upon anger, year after year, you're going to find yourself being very depressed. Often that time self-pity comes in. Why me? Why do I have to go through this? Look at those families. They don't go through what I've gone through. And when we get into self-pity, it can push us further into depression. I don't recommend it. I spent years of it. Look what they did to me. You know, a real victim. Some people, they actually live a lifetime of victimhood, if that's a word. <laughs> you know, we, we don't have to be victims. Or should I say, we don't have to stay victims. We may become a victim through someone else's bad behavior, but we don't have to stay a victim. I'll share that with you shortly. So usually after that, anxiety comes in. We're anxious about how are we going to survive? Who's going to look after me? Where's the money coming from? What if I can't have children? You know, all these things that cause so much grief because of loss. So often after anxiety, if we keep in that, going down that road, we'll end up with suicidal tendencies, either suicidal or homicidal. We either want to kill ourselves to get out of the pain, or we want to kill the person who's caused the pain. That's the bottom of the barrel, Satan's highest, to get us to kill ourselves or to kill someone else. You know, his plan works. They don't often want to kill someone else at the time it happens. Usually people go through a grieving process. Unless it's jealousy because there's been cheating. And so a person just wants to kill the person who they've cheated with. Jealousy and envy, they're killers. I'm going to bring that in a seminar one day. That Jealousy is a major, major stumbling block that will stop us. Don't have time to go into that very much today. And so we see many people, they either are suicidal or homicidal. And that's uh, really the bottom of the barrel stuff. It works. 
We all have expectations in relationships. You know, what, what about expectations of our parents? We would expect that our parents would have their highest good for us. And that they would want us to have a happy life. But you know, not every parent has the ability. If they've been through so much grief, if, they, if they've been abused, if they've been falsely accused, they come to the place uh, where, where they don't have any hope in any relationship. And that's when the relationships start breaking down. What about friends? You know, we believe that a friend would never share gossip through a confidence we've shared in private. But they do, don't they? We're human. You know, we're weak human flesh. Why do magazines and papers sell? It's all about gossip. It's all about, you know, knowing something that maybe others don't know. And it can be a lifestyle. Certainly is a lifestyle in the West. That's why people become millionaires. You know, tapping into that whole area of uh, people wanting to know who's done what with who. Maybe looking at someone else's sorrow may take a mind off our own. Because we're looking at someone else that may, you know, be worse off than we are. Kind of brings a bit of comfort sometimes, but... It certainly doesn't last. What about boyfriends and girlfriends? Oh, my goodness. We had a guy in our church, and he was a university professor. He had spent so much time getting to that place that he never had a girlfriend. He spent all his time studying and getting these degrees until he became very famous. And now he's looking for a girlfriend. So... He's very angry with me because I'm representing God and God hasn't, hasn't given him a girlfriend yet. So I said to him, well, what are your expectations of a girlfriend? And he's got a piece of paper in his pocket and he brings it out. Starts opening it up. Opening it up and opening it up. You know, he had a message, you know, saying, you know, write down your expectations and declare them and speak them out. But, you know, he had a paper that was so big. And I looked at what he was looking for, and I said, there's no such creature exists. <laughs> and even if she did, I wouldn't let you do it. She'd only make one mistake, and you'd, it'd be over. I've been counseling a lot of women who'd had their hearts broken because they didn't measure up to his high expectations. I mean, I don't know if he's married now, and that was 30 years ago. Some people get to the stage where they never get married because they can never find anybody that can measure up to what their expectations are. Unrealistic expectations. <laughs> we have them, don't we? <laughs> we need to have expectation. You know, without a vision, people perish. We need to have a vision. We need to have some hope for the future. In fact, one of the prophets, he was Haggai, said, write the vision down. Habakkuk. Write the vision down and then a herald will run with it. It's good to write your vision down. 
you, you know, but the whole vision doesn't always work out. And sometimes it's like you're going one way and then that door closes and he's leading you in another way. You know, did God change his mind? Oh, he got you there so that you could go to there. Which you probably wouldn't have gone straight there. Yeah, that would take a bit more explanation, but sometimes we end up in a different place than what we thought we would. And then, then we wonder, what got me here? In question, was that not God's will? Well, the thing is, we all have a will, don't we? And you may have a will and a dream with someone else, but, but if the other person doesn't have that dream, it may not come to pass. Like that lady, I said to her, you know, you really need to come to God and, and ask him to forgive you for idolizing another woman's husband. She said, well, that's not very kind. I said, yeah, but if you do it, you'll be free. Sometimes it, it's heavy. The word is heavy, isn't it? Yeah, when somebody told me I needed to forgive my ex-husband, you, you, you know, when, it, when he had raped my children from my first marriage, you know, I said, that's unforgivable. I think I shared it last week. The pastor said, well, Diane, you don't have to forgive. You can stay in your bondage if you want. But I can't help you if you don't. But if you're willing to pray and ask God to help you to forgive, then I'll pray with you. God doesn't need much. You know, it's just that little bit, it's that little bit of hope. So Jeremiah in Jeremiah 8.18 is, is seeing what's happening around him. And he says, Oh, comforter, in sorrow my heart is faint within me. The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are still not saved. I mourn and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? What about all those women who married non-Christian men, believing that they changed them? Or what about the man who married a non-Christian girlfriend? Believing that, oh, she'll change. And they don't. Years and years of grieving because they can't be united in, you know, in their faith. Jeremiah ten nineteen. he says, Woe is my injury. This is my sickness. I must endure it. See, the reason was, was that people weren't turning to God. And they now want to get rid of him. If you want to be in ministry uh, full-time or even part-time, you, you, you know, you, you've got to have a, a, what would you call it? You've got, you've got to have a soft heart, but you've got to have a strong heart too. You know, not, to not take things personal. Micah 2, verse 1, Woe to those who plan iniquity. You drive the women of my people from their pleasant homes. You take away my blessing from the children forever. See, that's a way of life, isn't it? More and more in these days. 
Verse 10 says, get up and go away. This is not your resting place because it's defiled. I was kind of thinking, I wish I knew this a few years earlier. This is not your resting place. There is a time to run. You know, there was a time when Elijah ran because God told him to, because his life was in danger. But then another time when he hid, he said, what are you doing hiding, Elijah? Well, it was Jezebel who was chasing him, wanting to kill him. You know, Jezebel is a world ruler. You know, it's a strong man. Uh, and she does a lot of damage in the world today. Uh, it's like if you submit to that, you'll become a slave of it. That's what the scripture says. Do you not know that he who you submit to, you will become a slave of? So if you submit to that depression, you submit to that person who's controlling I've, I've not met a man who beats his wife change because they were told to say sorry. How many people say that? I saw that in counseling. You know, a man who's, who, who's committed incest with his children, so he wants to come back to the house again. So they get him in for counseling and they say, well, what are you going to say about what you did? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. They don't mean it. But they just say the words, I'm sorry, and then it's like, okay, let's get them back together now. You know, being sorry is not enough, is it? It's got to be true repentance. And what does repentance mean? It means change. There's got to be a change of heart, a change of mind, and there's got to be a change of behavior. And if I didn't see a change of behavior, I would never put them together again. Even John the Baptist said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. There's got to be some fruit come out of, the, of, of your repentance. Habakkuk, Habakkuk 1 verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out for violence, but you do not save. It was Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.2. Write the vision down that a herald may run with it. I know when I, I got some inkling that maybe God wanted to help me and get me out of it. You, you know, it was like, write the vision down. When I came to the Gold Coast, Nobody wanted to know me. I'd been in ministry for about 12 years in Sydney, Melbourne, and even Perth, Canberra. I was well known down there, but come to Queensland, nobody knows me. So you go to church to meet people, and they've all got their little cliques. Nobody even said hello to me, never mind, what do you do? I got very discouraged. How am I going to have a ministry if nobody comes? Well, I had to write the vision down. My old church that I'd left sent me $300 to 
And then I felt that God said, you know, get, get some pamphlets, get some cards, write it down. So I wrote down a whole thing of four different levels of schools. And then I'm going to post them around. And I felt God said, no, you're not allowed to advertise. Talk about stumbling blocks. So all I've got is a box full of brochures, you know, cards, not allowed to advertise, and nobody's interested. But there's something about writing the vision down. It wasn't very long. It wasn't very long, but there was a pastor who's, whose wife was ill, and he heard about me, so asked me to pray for his wife, and she had a miraculous recovery. You know, God went before me every time. He goes before. He always went before me with signs and wonders and miracles because I, I'm not that good a teacher and I can't even spell properly yet, you know. Never had time to. I've been too busy doing it. But the thing about it is you've got to start somewhere. God doesn't need much. You know, he had me ministering before I was even set free. Because, you see, if they're looking to Jesus, they're going to get Jesus. We had a thing that says, don't let a man or a woman who's committed adultery lay hands on you, you'll get the Spirit. No, you won't if you're looking to Jesus. But if you look into that person to set you free, you, you may, you know, submit to that. Yeah, that's a half an hour lecture in two minutes. <laughs> I'm trying to put a lot in, but this is a big thing, and this is the last of my times on Sunday afternoon, so I, I, I want to get enough in that gives you enough information, but also enough hope. If it's not for you, then it's so that you know how to minister to someone else in grief. Because grief is a spirit. Psalm 31, verse 7. While we were worshipping, I got this from God. I'm trying to worship, and I'm just getting this. Psalm 31. Read Psalm 31. So I'm reading Psalm 31, and it's verse 7. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, because you saw my affliction, and you knew the anguish of my soul. You've just been looking at anguish. You have not given me into the hands of the enemy, but you have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed with anguish and my years by groaning, and my strength fails me because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. I could do half an hour lecture just on that verse alone because this is a fruit of that spirit of grief and sorrow. Psalm 77, verse 2. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord, and at night I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. In fact, in another version, it says, My soul refused to be comforted. You know, you can you not receive comfort. I was so independent, so scared of people knowing me, knowing what I'd been through, 
They came to help me with my suitcases when I went to the mission. And I said, I'm all right. I can do it. I've got two big cases. I'm going to be staying there for six months. I've got my 10-year-old daughter with me, and she's got cases. And we've got bags. And this guy comes over to help me, and I won't let him. That's what, what it's like when you're so independent. That's right. I can, I can manage. Because you're afraid to let anybody know you're not coping. Or they might not accept you. Yeah, been there, done that. You catch my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. You know, insomnia is a major root of uh, grief. Then I thought about the former days, the years long ago. I remembered my song in the night, and my heart meditated, and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? As his unfailing love vanished forever, as his promise fell for all time. We're looking at the fruit of grief. And this is the lies or the misinformation that we gather. As his promises failed for all times. Has God forgotten to, forgotten to be merciful and has he in anger withheld his compassion? Now, I've said that really quick, but, you know, if you want to look at it, these are the fruit of a person in grief. And then verse 10, I'm reading this from the New American Standard Version because it was in America when I got this revelation. It is my grief that the right hand of God has changed. So when you look at the right hand of God in Scripture, it talks about God's authority. When David said, when I put my right hand into your right hand, I wasn't shaken. So what David was saying was, I'm giving my authority over to you. And because I've given my authority to you, I'm taking yours. You know, instead of saying, God, why didn't you come and do something? It's like, well, I'm taking something from God that Jesus died so that we can have. So when we're hearing people in their distress focusing more on being a victim and what's happened to them, you realize that if you keep going down that way, you'll end up wanting to kill yourself or someone else. So Psalm ten fourteen, I love this psalm. Psalm 14, Psalm 10, verse 14. But you, O Lord, you do see trouble. You do see grief. You consider it and take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you because you are a helper to the fatherless. There's something about God being a father to us. We need a father. And if we didn't have one that could give us what we really needed, then, then God can.
He goes on to say, You hear, O Lord, the desire, this is verse 17. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them, you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, in order that manners of the earth uh, may terrify them no more. I was so paranoid. If I was going home at night and I put the key in the door, turn the light switch, I thought the hand would grab me. I go walking up the street, and if I saw someone's shadow coming up, I thought they'd rape me. You know, when you've gone through a lifestyle of trauma and abuse, it's in your mind all the time, and you get paranoid, full of fear. There's a book. I can give you the name after if you want. It's Lynn Etriter and Jeanette Voigt. You probably won't remember that name, but they wrote a book called Helping Victims of uh, Sexual Abuse. They made a point that many victims find it so hard to receive healing from God because he, re he requires us to have respectful dependence on him. With a view to him using us for his purposes. If you've been a victim of that sexual abuse, that person wants you to submit to them so that they can use you for their own purposes. So the good news now becomes the bad news. God is asking of you is what caused you to get into that trouble in the first place. I mean, obviously, if you're being raped, you're a victim. So they came to grips with this issue and they define victimization as when you have no choice. But dependence on God is when you can ask for help. The difference between being a victim and dependence on God is the issue of choice. I can either choose to stay this way, seeing my children grow up, single mom who's depressed, mentally ill, I could see they were going to get into great trouble. So I made a choice. You know, when God called me and I started going to church, it was like I made a choice. I'm not going back to where I've been. And that while I submitted to the Word, submitted to the pastor, submitted to what was going on, he began to bring us out of that pit that we'd been in for so many years. So grief comes in when we suffer loss, loved one, loss of expectation, but it also comes when you suffer a loss of a value or a standard. I've seen this happen many times. More in my day than the day today. But if your boyfriend says, you know, if you loved me, you'd sleep with me. Well, I don't want to lose him. So you lower your standard. And then afterwards you regret it. Especially if you get pregnant. I'm not looking at the guys of the abusers and the women are the ones who's been abused because I tell you, some women can really abuse 
their boyfriends and their husbands. That is it. We finished the recording. Loss of value are a standard or a loss of a vision. What happens when your dream dies, when your vision dies? That's what you are hanging on to. That's what you were trusting God for. When you think of Peter, he was going to work with Jesus in the kingdom, and now he's dead. Visions died. And then that young girl comes to him and says, you were one of them. And he says, no, I'm not. You know, when you're, you're in the heat of the disappointment, you can so totally betray, betray God and betray your friend. The bottom line is forgiveness. And you don't have to feel it to give it. I think I spoke a little bit on this last week. I was able, because I'm seeing the fruit in my children, to say through gritted teeth, God, I forgive him for what he did. It wasn't for his sake, it was for their sake, and it was for my sake. And then about six years later, he rang me and said, I never heard from him for six years. And he says, Diane, I want to tell you I've become a Christian. You'd think I would be joyful, wouldn't you? Yeah. And I, no, no, it's not going to run hell. Horrible, isn't it, when you hate someone that much? And I realized, I, I thought I'd forgiven him, but I didn't. You see, forgiveness means releasing them from the debt they owe you. He owed me big time. I'd spoken the words, but I hadn't really forgiven until I heard his voice and he wants to see the kids. even took him to court. I shouldn't have bothered. It cost him so much money. <laughs> and, and the judge says, you've got to put them on, on the plane and, you know. Well, the thing is, as a Christian, he became a father that they never had. And that's what I say. Even, even you know, in the areas of, uh, you know, the world situation, you know, well, those of a different religion wants to kill all the Christians. It's like, God, get them saved. Because if you get them saved, they're going to put away that hatred. It's only a few weeks ago I was on YouTube, and I saw, I saw this scene where there's thousands of people being baptized in the river. Yeah, this was in, in uh, Iraq. And another one where the soldiers had made in the desert a baptismal thing. They could have baptized them all because there were so many. They had about 12 pastors, and there was a call out, pastors come, we're going to be here till midnight. So many coming in. We don't hear about that much, do we? Yeah, when I was in China last, 
I went to a church that was an underground church. And, and they told me stories of the millions. It's exciting. I even went to uh, this meeting where they're all pastors. So they had to camouflage me to get me into the meeting at night. So I just start sharing my story and telling them about Jesus and what, what he does and telling them about anointing, you know, that we as pastors can be anointed and do what Jesus did. And as I'm speaking, I see all these feathers floating down from the ceiling. So I said to them, do you have chooks? What's a chuck? I said, do you have chickens? No. It was just a sign and a wonder so that those pastors had those feathers falling on them and the Holy Spirit came with such power. I saw it as it's under the shadow of his wings. I've seen a lot of those kind of signs and wonders over the years. But sometimes people look at the sign and wonder, not the giver. But I think we're going to see more of it. Got the gold dust. It was a bit hard for the guys because they'd go home and they've got gold dust all over their suits and their jackets. They used to wear them then. But that, that left as quickly as it came. And then I had someone describing that when you go to a wedding in the East, uh, you know, they give you uh, gold coins to the lady who's getting married, stuff it in the dress. And it was preparing the bride, giving the gift to the bride. So I thought, I like that explanation. And we're, we're anointed to prepare the bride. I, um, I had a lot on forgiveness because it's not just a simple thing. It's one of the hardest things to do. But if we don't forgive, we'll end up with negative soul ties to that person. Even years later, if you can't forgive them, you only have to hear their voice and something on the inside, it cringes. So I, I just wanted to push that. If you want to get out of desolation, out of any of this to do with uh, being a victim, there's no other way. There's no other way that can break the cycle of being, being a victim. It was one of the hardest things I had to do. I nearly choked just getting the words out. Mind you, I was demonized at the time as well, so that didn't help. <laughs> but when I did it, it was like something lifted. My mother said, I will never forgive him what he did to you. And I said, well, mom, it's, it's not going to help. She got offended with me because I forgave him. See, people who don't know God or don't know about his principles, when you do what's right, they sometimes get angry. Mm. So I'm going, to, I, I, I'm going to read a poem and this poem, it comes from that book I was talking about, 
helping victims of abuse. So they wrote this poem, these two ladies. Danger threatened. I knew I had to get away. But there was no place I could go. A girl of six can hardly leave. So the year alone I stayed. I ran into my mind. And I dodged between the messages of mother's eyes and grandma's sighs. Messages that said, don't tell the truth, I cannot bear to hear it. So cowering in the dark recesses of the attic of my mind, I crept behind broken furniture of unacceptable rage and fear. Dust of decades. My forbidden secret settled over me and I, as I choked in guilt. Abandoned and abused, I sealed the doors so no one would know. I'm not the best at reading poetry, but that comes across loud and clear, doesn't it? Push it down and then hide. So I'm going to look at the area of Psalm 110, verse 14 again. For you, O oh God, you do see trouble and grief. You consider it and take it in hand. The victim commits himself to you. So that's the first part, isn't it? Lord, I'm going to commit myself to you. Because we can't do it. No matter how many times people say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, it doesn't work. It might last for three weeks or so. Not long term. But you are the helper of the fatherless. You hear, O oh Lord, the desire of the afflicted and you encourage them and you listen to their cry. Defending the fatherless and the oppressed. In order that man who is of the earth may terrify them no more. I was so paranoid. I had to take medication in order to get out of the house. I don't recognize the woman I was. But I'll never stop telling people about how wonderful Jesus is. You know, my daughter says, Mom, why don't you retire at my birthday just a couple of, years, a couple of days ago? And she says, Mom, don't you think it's time? I said, well, well actually, I've just taken on more. <laughs> They're asking me to start traveling again. I haven't answered that one yet. <laughs> Yeah. You know, there's a time to grieve, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to dance, but there's a time to say goodbye to pain. Mm. That's a sorrow. So the way that I did it and so many other people do it was to just commit themselves to God. Lord, I'm committing me and my situation of... Uh, Victimhood to you, because you are a father to the fatherless. I was so angry with my mother because she didn't rescue me when her friend <coughs> got me to his house and raped me. I was 11. I didn't tell my mom. So he came after me 
and I'd run home. <clears throat> so I hid behind the settee. You know, I didn't, I didn't want him to find me. I didn't want anybody to know. So I lived with that guilt. Ten-year-old victim of sexual abuse from a friend of my mother. You, you, you know, it was like I couldn't talk to her. I, I, I couldn't forgive her, thinking she should have protected me. And my dad was never home, so I realized that he would never rescue me. But defending the fatherless and the oppressed. One of the hardest things for people to receive that healing from God is because they want the answer, why did he allow it to happen? Well, that's one of those things where we probably will never be able to fathom that out. Through all those years, I never lost the truth that God is good. I'm so glad. Even when I was still demonized, I still couldn't let go of God is good. What happened to me wasn't. And if he allowed it to happen, it's because he's got a higher purpose than what I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And then we need to renounce the spirit of grief. See, sorrow is a pain, but grief is the spirit. It's the spirit of infirmity. So <clears throat> I had to do it, and I usually say to others, you need to renounce that spirit of grief. I'm not saying that you won't be grieved again because we're living in a fallen world. But we can, we can, you know, cut ourselves free from the guilt and shame. It's a, it's a process. And you've all come out today to listen to this message, so I kind of pray, God, just bring the people who need to hear it. Most of us are leaders in the body of Christ, probably all of us. So, so we need to hear it also to give hope to others. I'm going to pray a general prayer, because I don't know all your backgrounds. But what I know is that the anointing is already here. It's that anointing of Isaiah 61. You know, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to bind up the brokenhearted. I mean, if you pushed it down over all those years, I thought, I need counseling for 20 years with what I've been through. But you know, sometimes it doesn't need more than, more than three or four times. You know, the axe to the root of the tree. I'm, av I'm available sometime, you know, if any of you need to work through something in that area, especially of sexual abuse. Or even saying goodbye. You know, maybe a baby who died. I had to do that with my daughter. 
So I'm just going to pray generally, and if you if you want laying on of hands, anointing oil, I'm happy to do that. Mm. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity to bring your word and the revelation in your word as to as to how we can be free, how we can be used. So I ask, Father, for each one here today who hasn't dealt with it, that they will be able to commit themselves into your keeping because you are able. Now maybe, maybe if it's you, then just speak it out. Don't wait for the answers or an apology because you probably won't get it. Just, Lord, I, I, I commit myself to you. For you are father to the fatherless and the oppressed. Maybe you could, you could pray generally. <laughs> father, as an act of my will, I choose to forgive. And if the Holy Spirit's been showing you, you know who it is that you need to forgive, you can speak that out. We don't need to hear it, but it needs to come across your lips. I choose to forgive that ex-husband, that boyfriend, that girlfriend, that mother-in-law. I forgive my mother my father. Maybe it's an uncle or an aunt or maybe a grandparent. I'm not just talking about sexual abuse. That can happen, but there are other things in families. You know, where, where, where they didn't treat you as God intended, but instead rejected, abandoned. Speak out, Father, I choose to forgive. You know, as an act of my will. I'm not into stirring emotions. You know, we used to do that a lot a few years ago. It doesn't last if it's just emotional. I mean, it's come from the heart, from the spirit. So I'm going to take that authority that I have in Jesus' name. And if you want those negative soul ties broken between you and the abusers and you and the accusers, uh, when I finish praying and you agree, just say amen. You know, just, I'm agreeing with that. Yeah. So, Father, I use that authority you've given me in Jesus' name. And I ask, Father, that you break every negative soul tie between each one and their abusers, each one and their accusers. Father, cut them free today. I ask in Jesus' name. As I said, if you agree, say amen. Because this is not just my prayer, it's your, 
It's your prayer, I'm praying on, on your behalf. Because those negative soul ties, and unless you actually, you know, have them cut, even if you didn't see that person for 50 years, the feelings will come again. If you heard them or saw them. As I say, I don't know your backgrounds, but I'll just say, some people make marriage vows, and they really mean to keep them. But for whatever reason, those vows had to be broken. But there's still the tie, it's covenant. And sometimes we just need to acknowledge that. As I said before, you know, we're not looking at percentages of whose fault it was, we're looking at the factors you know, if I broke that covenant, I asked for forgiveness. Usually you don't want to know. It's all their fault. Sometimes you look at, well, why did you pick a person like that? It's because you were afraid that someone would control you, so you picked someone who you could control. That's another lecture, but... You, you know, this is often what happens. But if you made a vow and you never dealt with it, let's deal with it this afternoon because that's going to get rid of a lot of false guilt, a lot of guilt. Now you'll know how to minister to others. Yeah. So, so if that's you, let's just pray this prayer. Father, I ask that you would forgive me for breaking vows, especially marriage vows. So, Father, I ask that you would cut those negative soul ties with that vow that was broken. And I ask, Father, that you would mend the broken hearts that came because that covenant was broken. And that you would release them, Father, from that, from those uh, covenant promises. That they would be free. They would be free from the pain. They would be free from the guilt. They would be free. Free from the cloud of depression. Jesus, it's in your name that we ask these things. It's the power of his name, isn't it? So, Father, I ask for each one that when they leave this building this afternoon, that they will leave different than when they came. That you would lift off that heavy yoke of all those years where the enemies had an open door. Because we're, we're moving into a new day. It happened about seven weeks ago, and it was a new season, it was a new day. And we're even now seeing the results of it. As Pastor Ramal would say, the third day. <laughs> yeah. 
So Holy Spirit, come in power. We know you're here. We, we know. We know. We know you, but we want to know you more. Holy Spirit, comfort her. Comfort them in every part, even those parts that, that they hid from you. those areas of the mind, those areas of the emotions, the spirit. And you, you were a clean house, as it was. Cleaning cobwebs. So, Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your anointing. Thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness. Uh, As I I prayed that, I just want to mention, you know, when Jesus died, it says, by his stripes we are healed. That word healed means to mend as by stitching. So it's like he takes us with our tears and broken heart, and he, he stitches us where it's been broken. That's what it means, by his stripes we are healed. He actually mends us. But when he does it, it's invisible mending where you can't even see where the tear was. I had one lady came in for counseling when I was pastoring the church, and, uh, and I said, well, share with me why you're here. You know, tell me your story. She said, oh, you wouldn't know. You're just as clean as the driven snow. You know, it's like I had a bit of a chuckle. <laughs> I said, try me. <laughs> you don't have to have gone through it to be anointed to set someone free. Even as a woman, I can allow Father's blessing to flow through me when there's no man there. Not limited. So, um, gone quite a bit over time, but, you know, when the Holy Spirit's moving, you can't just cut it off and say, go on. (laughs) But if anyone would would like prayer with the laying on of hands or anointing oil, do we have to be out of here by a certain time? Yeah. We're, ha- we're happy. We're happy to stand with you. And, and if it's not necessary, it's probably already done it before we get to you. You already got to you. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I think we'll finish the meeting officially. Yeah.